Welcome to the Nation's Blind Podcast, coming to you from the headquarters of the National Federation of the Blind in Baltimore. Hello, everybody. You're now listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast in the year of 2017. This is Anil Lewis, and I'm with Chris Danielson. Excellent. So, uh, Chris, have you already made your New Year's resolutions? Yes, my New Year's resolution, my first one is to get all my boxes unpacked. That's because, right, the new homeowner. Right, right, because yeah. New Year, new home. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I still have stuff. Well, actually, what happens, at least with me, is you get to a certain point in a move where you've unpacked all the stuff that you absolutely need that you have to have right away, like right. to cook with and to, you know, your your toiletries and all that and then you get down to all this stuff and you're looking through boxes and you're like why do i even have this what am i gonna do with <laughs> well, it well you didn't pack correctly this, that's usually this, when i'm packing to move i end up throwing away a lot of that stuff so. right, right well i did a partial purge uh before i moved but i should have done more got it so maybe that's the other part of my new year's resolution <laughs> is, to, is to get rid of more junk oh, so it's not cluttering up the new house yeah my my New Year's resolution is to get part of my life together that has not been together for a while. So that's specifically around my finances. Uh, I was going to do the traditional lose weight, but uh, I thought that if I made that resolution by February, I would be depressed. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just try to work on that, but I'm not going to make that the resolution. I need something that I can actually accomplish to make myself feel good. Well, I am I am all for financial planning, my friend. I I I did that myself a few years ago mm-hmm. and i have never regretted it because well, you must have it, done a really good job being a new homeowner <laughs> that doesn't come easy you have to financially plan to do something that yeah important. yeah yeah it worked out I, st- I still wound up doing it a little sooner than i had planned to but overall it's uh, overall it's going to work out so good, good. january is just going to be a busy month yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But and one of the things that's happening in January, of course, is we've already celebrated it in a big way, and that's Louis Braille's birthday. That makes it relevant to the National Federation of the Blind. Of course, that's yeah. our first big, uh, first big celebration in January, mm-hmm. and we were able to make a big announcement on Louis Braille's birthday. Yeah, uh, this year. Um, and it has to do with our Bell program. Excellent. I mean, our partnership with the Wells Fargo and our Bell program, that was really powerful. Um, last year, Wells Fargo stepped up and uh, gave us a grant of uh, $100,000 to support our Bell programs. And last year, we were able to provide Braille instruction to um, hundreds of blind kids across the country, 30 states to be specific, uh, more than 40 programs. So uh, we're happy that that partnership continues. That's right. Um, it's a really great. It's a really great partnership. A, a very substantial grant from Wells Fargo to fund the program, and not only that, but uh, Wells Fargo uh, was very interested in and is very interested in helping us promote the program and make it even more of a success. And what they did uh, was uh, they put together a really outstanding video. Yeah, it really was a good job. Our communications team, including you and all the other guys, worked really well with their communications team, not only just to put together a video, but an accessible video. It's actually audio-described. Right, exactly. It's a, it's an audio-described video, and it talks about uh, that they, they featured our, our Bell program in Rhode Island, um, and it's a really outstanding video featuring some of the students and explaining what the program does and the, and the type of activities. And, well... 
we don't just have to talk about it. That's right. We know it's a podcast and you're listening, but we're going to actually show you a video on our podcast. Well, you're right, because it's an it's an audio described video. <laughs> there so you go. so you get the visuals and the audio all in audio. So let's roll it. This video is being presented with both narration and audio description for blind and low vision audiences. In a church basement, kids stand behind sets of six colored circles arranged in two columns on the floor. So the first letter we're going to do is an easy one. We're going to do a B. What seems like a modified game of Twister that is helping one. teach Braille to kids in this church basement in Rhode Island. Kids assume different positions to touch combinations of the circles beneath them. Bella, you're on four or five. The kids stretch and lunge to place feet, hands, elbows, and bellies on different combinations of circles lined up in two columns on the floor. The next letter is S. Animation shows the braille cell with dots numbered 1, 2, and 3 down the left column and 4, 5, and 6 down the right. The two columns of dots represent the braille cell from which all letters of the braille alphabet are written. And this braille yoga is part of the Bell Academy a summer program from the National Federation of the Blind that's teaching Braille and more to blind and low vision kids in 30 states with support from Wells Fargo. Kids read Braille and type on Braillers. I love the activities we do. 13-year-old Bella Lundberg, who's been blind since the age of five, is using a Braille typewriter to create a journal entry. I'm a writer. I love writing. It's awesome to be able to write in Braille. I love it. I write short stories. I'm hopefully going to write a novel someday. A small group of kids and adults sit at a table with money. In addition to Braille, Bell focuses on everyday skills to help boost confidence and independence. So if you can't see what kind of money you have, if Just you fold, folded. Yeah. yeah, so, you so fold them each one is folded a different way. So Molly Ferber is the director of the Bell Academy of Rhode Island. Unfortunately, you know, society has traditionally very low expectations for blind people. Um, and so our job is kind of to say, well, blind people actually can do that. You know, we can cook for ourselves and we can, um, you know, get around independently and we can, um, you know, have fun. Teenagers and young adult volunteers sit at an arts and crafts table. A typical day at Bell is a lot like any summer day camp with arts and crafts. I'm reaching for stickers and I know I'm getting it because I can feel the uh, different shapes. Games. Kids play goal ball. Oh, a block by Jesus. Nice job. And circle time. Even though blind people can't see, they can still use their other senses. Students wearing learning shades mix ingredients for cupcakes. Students who have some low vision wear sleep masks or learning shades so they can rely completely on their non-visual senses to accomplish tasks. 15-year-old Chris Bove wears his while he learns to make a microwave cupcake. Chris puts his mug in the microwave. Make sure it's on the rotating part. Bell teaches some techniques that you can use if you're blind that like other people wouldn't even think to teach you. A volunteer helps a young boy measure cupcake mix. Okay, so take your mug. We're going to dump that in your mug. Danielle Petch is a teacher of the visually impaired for the Providence School System and the only fully sighted volunteer working with the kids. They're not just learning from a teacher that's sighted. 
they're learning from each other, and that's really important is that, you know, they're blind and visually impaired themselves, and they're just as capable of teaching anything. They can do anything they want. A blind adult teaches kids with handheld braille cells. Who can make an X? The Wells Fargo logo and copyright appears. Yeah, every, every time I watch that video, it really just makes me feel so good uh, about the work we're doing, uh, about the people that volunteer their time to get it done, and the impact that we have on these blind kids across the country. Absolutely. You know, people, people sometimes ask, why the National Federation of the Blind? What's so important about the organization? And we're, we're going to be talking about more of what's important about the organization in terms of the civil rights uh, work that we do. But the, the piece that we just heard really demonstrates that in a tangible way, we are changing people's lives. We're changing the lives of these young people who are being exposed to Braille and often meeting other blind kids for the first time and, and, and interacting with them and interacting with blind role models. And we're mm -hmm. changing the lives of their families mm -hmm. because the families have often not had a sense that their blind children uh, can have be really, that capacity, have right, that potential. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And and some of the most powerful statements that come out of the Bell programs, uh, as well as from the kids, come from the parents who are just uh, talk about how not only has their child uh, learned Braille, but has become more confident, has become more independent, mm -hmm. uh, has made new friends, has, you know, yeah. grown so much. And and all of this is usually accomplished in a in a two week uh, program, right? And so we really want to continue to expand this effort uh, across the country because it's such an outstanding, life changing, literally life changing. Pro you know, life changing right. is a word that gets used a lot, but it's literally a <laughs> in life this case, it's very appropriate. Absolutely, Bell Academies really are. I mean, I, I call it planting a seed, and right. in that two week program. Right. We don't empower them with all the skills that they need, but we light a fire inside them and their parents, like you described, that takes them back to their school systems and gets them to demand, you know, that they have the free and appropriate public education that every blind, well, every student in America is promised. So we just make sure that we can do that in that particular form. And I just really am proud that we as an organization are committed to uh, impacting blind kids that way. And we mentioned Wells Fargo with their grant. And although the $100,000 is a gracious donation, uh, it's still not enough to fund our programs. We're, we're really happy that our membership of 50000 plus commits on a regular basis through our PAC plan donations. But we're always aggressively trying to find individuals who want to put forth a little bit of their time, their talent, and their tent to help support these life-changing programs as well. I, I like the alliteration there. There you go. Yeah, that's my Southern Baptist right there. You know, that's that's the preacher saying yeah. your time and your talent and your tent. And when <laughs> they talk about that, they're talking about that tenth. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, that's a whole different podcast. Right. Uh, so let's pivot away from religion right now and go to the news. All uh, right. We got the Wells Fargo press release went out. That was definitely in the news. What else do we have, Chris? So also in the news, and, and this is news that people have been waiting for for a while. Really? Not, not to be, you know, negative about it, but it, it has <laughs> been a while coming. Um, 
the Section 508 regulations uh, have been issued. They yeah, what what been. was our little uh, social media piece? Upload the regs. Yes, so upload the regs. I only heard our cry, and the regs have been uploaded. Right. Well, at least the 508 regs. So, so <laughs> that that piece was really about the the ADA regs, but yeah. well, it, you know. we'll, t- we'll take the 508 regs because they're going to have a, a big impact. For those who don't know, Section 508 is the section of the Federal Rehabilitation Act that says that federal agencies and those that they contract with have to make their uh, electronic and information technology or their information and communications technology accessible to uh, blind people and people with other disabilities. And Mm -hmm. as we know, uh, technology is always changing. Uh, so there were 508 regulations in place that were issued in 2000, but you know, 2000 in technology years—that's that. <laughs> I don't even want to calculate. Yeah. What were we using back then? Stone tablets, back <laughs> something like that. Yeah, now we've evolved, right? I, I mean, e- email was cutting edge yeah. back in 2000. Yeah. You know, so uh, so now uh, things have changed a lot, and so we've been waiting for what everybody's been calling the sort of federal speak for it was the 508 refresh Mm -hmm. and the i knew we had a cute little thing about it i just got them confused but thanks for bailing me out on that yeah it's the refresh refresh you know kind of like the duran duran song only different the refresh oh i know Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) anyway um so the refresh has to do that that'd be a nice little parody (laughs) the refresh yeah yeah we'll have to work on that (laughs) we'll have to work on that (laughs) anyway maybe weird al yankovich yeah Yeah, exactly. So the refresh has finally happened. Uh, Members of the access board worked really hard, and and we had, uh, of course, a lot of discussions with them. Uh, One of our own members, Sachin Dev Pavitran, uh, was was chairing the subcommittee, actually, that that worked on these. So that was a great thing. And uh, so now we've got a... uh, We've got 508 regulations that meaningfully explain what it means to make this kind of technology accessible, this uh, electronic and information technology and, and so forth. And the great thing about it is because it also affects uh, federal contractors, it is going to have an impact on on industry. It is yeah. actually going to make uh, possibly a lot more than just federal programs and services accessible because because as uh, as um, entities that sell to the federal government try to make their their products and services accessible uh, hopefully what they do is they make them accessible across the board and that way they're uh, able to uh, you know satisfy all sorts of requirements. Uh, yeah, well, the key is it's going to make sure that in those instances where there's public access for everyone else, there's a requirement for the tools that they use to be accessible. So this, um, in, in a mainstream way, is going to not only create access for blind individuals to access those products and services, it's going to create opportunities for blind people to access those jobs that provide those services as well. So I think that this is really the big win-win. Absolutely. You know, we pointed out in our press release that uh, – the people who really struggle, uh, a lot of them are federal employees, people who already mm-hmm. are, are blind and who are employed by the federal government. 
and you know they need access to the technology that their own agencies are using and they don't always have it so mm-hmm. so this is going to have a, a an impact on the ability of blind people to acquire and maintain employment which is of course critically important right and this didn't just happen i mean it wasn't just something that somebody waved the magic wand and made happen this was uh, to be very braggadocious, you know, it's a concerted effort. Uh, the collective action of the Federation played an integral part in all this happening. We, as an organization, fight, you know, to make sure that blind individuals have access to the same public services, product systems that anyone else, that any other American citizen has access to. And it's through our fundamental um, core as an organization, as a civil rights organization, through our collective action of our membership, that we're able to affect these changes in policy. And also, even beyond that, uh, impact the manufacturers of the technology directly. So I really am proud um, to be part of the National Federation of the Blind because that's what we do as an organization. We we fight for the rights of blind individuals and not to be set apart, not to be different, or not to be given any um, superior opportunities, but just to be provided the same access that we are allowed to exercise our passions, our, our talents, to make sure that we can be part of this this world as well. Absolutely. We, in order to uh, live the lives we want, uh, we need to have that equal access. It's not a matter of of something special, something over and above. It's just a matter of uh, that famous level playing field, and mm-hmm. that is that is what we mean, and that is that is what civil rights organizations struggle for mm-hmm. for their members, and that is why we are a, a civil rights organization. One of the, the the best vehicles we have for creating that systemic change is by bringing all of us together in Washington D.C. at our nation's capital, where the policies are made, where uh-huh. the players interact, and Every year we have what's called our Washington Seminar. I love the Washington Seminar. <laughs> I do too. I mean, next to the National Convention, it's the most empowering experience that I've had in this organization. Well, absolutely. There's also USLAM too, which we'll hopefully talk about in greater detail in another podcast. But bringing 500 plus individuals from across the country, well, we don't bring them. They use their own time, talent, intent <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to pack up their gear and come to D.C. for a week. And uh, the seminar itself. Uh, does more than just, well, to break it down, the seminar on its base level gets our membership to understand that we have a voice. I'll never forget my first Washington seminar when I went there. I'm thinking, well, we're going to be meeting with some people. That's great. But I'm sitting up in the room talking to members of Congress, actually having to listen to me, and I recognize the power that I have as a constituent, as a voter, as a citizen. And to have 500 of our members come and engage in those discussions with all 535 members of Congress, I mean, there's nothing but positive energy that can come out of that. Absolutely. It's so empowering to sit in the room with a member of Congress and and talk to them about the issues that affect blind people. And it has an impact because just like other members of the public, members of Congress often have not met a blind person and they don't even realize that they have blind constituents. And one of the reasons I truly believe and I think has been demonstrated that we have such a strong record of legislative success is because when we come to Washington as blind people and tell our stories and tell how the agenda items that we're trying to move really affect us, that that has a substantial impact 
on members of Congress, mm-hmm. and it, it makes a difference. It, I have seen members of Congress literally change their mind about an issue uh, because while, of our interaction. Right, because we're right. sitting there letting them know the truth because they tend to feign on, well, what we fight every day, the misconceptions about blindness. Right. And if we were to lead them to their own design, uh, the policies that would come out directly affecting blind people would be so backwards that we would be sending ourselves back in time. So it is important for us to be in those seats and to have those candid conversations. But the event itself doesn't happen without a lot of planning. And I had the opportunity to actually be part of our advocacy and policy team for a while. So so did you as well. Absolutely. Uh, we, bo- we both had a lot of fun there. But this year in 2017, there's a, a team that's putting it together. And I had the opportunity to talk to uh, members of the team to show what we have to tell us what we have in store uh, at this year's Washington seminar. So we'll hear about that when the Voice of the Nation's Blind returns after this short break. This is Terry Sheeler. I am the president of the National Federation of the Blind of Arkansas, and you are listening to the Nation's Blind podcast. All right, listeners to our Nation's Blind podcast. Um, I have the pleasure of being here today to speak with our executive director of advocacy and policy, Mr. John Perret. John, how are you doing today? Terrific, Anil. Good to be here. This is your first time on the podcast, it isn't is. it? It is. Why, why has it been so long? I've well, been here long. What's, what's been going on? Well, you know, we try to sprinkle in a lot of the talent as we go along. We don't want to just put it all up front. So you're you're a uh-huh. nice little milestone moment in the podcast. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and it's appropriate <laughs> now because we're talking about civil rights and the core of the organization as a civil rights movement. And who better? to really express that than our executive director of advocacy and policy, right? Well, we have the Washington Seminar coming up, and that's that's huge. That's huge, and I'm really excited about it. And Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but before you start talking about the Washington Ooh. Seminar, I just got to tell people a little bit about John Perret here. Ooh. I had the opportunity to work with him. Uh, I was his director of advocacy and policy, and I'll never forget when I first came up to the national office to work with him. He was so gracious, he took me out to dinner. And I disclosed to him, you know, as we were having this conversation, John, you're much more fun to work with than I thought. And wow. I, I thought that was a significant compliment, but John, he took it in a really interesting way. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a little bit of a, know, a little bit of an insult. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. It, it's, no a it's, a, it's worked compliment. out. It's worked out. It's yeah. worked out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you're you're more fun than I. Than <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, now now I see how you felt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can see that now. Yeah, I didn't internalize it until now. But truly, uh, you have always been, in my opinion one of the most passionate members about the Federation, uh, messaging around our movement, uh, definitely watching you on the hill, uh, you know, for our listeners out there. John Bray's a really nice guy, great sense of humor, but when he's in a room and he's talking about the rights of blind people, he turns into a preacher. And <laughs> I, it's just so interesting watching him when he goes into that mode. It's like he transforms, but such a powerful speaker, tremendous representative for the organization, and I'm glad that you're on our team. Well, thank you. That's yeah. very generous. Yeah. So you were talking about our Washington seminar. Well, it's coming up here. What, it's is, just, what is it? Washington seminar is an opportunity for the National Federation of Blind for us to come and tell the incoming Congress, which we have a lot of people this year, the, the priorities for the 115th session. Mm-hmm. session. I mean, that's sort of the, the formal thing. Mm-hmm. If you think of it a little more informally, this is an opportunity to, to tell Congress how they can help improve, the, through public policy, the lives of blind Americans. There mm-hmm. are things that, the, that the Congress can do, laws that could be enacted, civil rights that could be improved that would improve our lives. And it's us speaking for ourselves, saying this is what you really need to do. We, we're the ones who knows what, what, what can be done 
to dramatically improve our lives. And I think we've got some issues that this year that are that are really good. Yeah, and this, this is an amazing experience. It's one of the most powerful experiences I, I've had in the Federation. Over 500 of our members are going to be coming, participating in this event. And I'll never forget my first time. I thought that we'd come here you know, have a couple of meetings with some staffers. But when I'm actually was sitting, when I was actually sitting in the room with a member of Congress and they're actually being accountable to me, that was the most empowering experience ever. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, we meet with actual senators. Mm-hmm. We meet with your actual uh, member in the House of Representatives. Then we'll, a lot of times we'll meet with senior staffers, the mm-hmm. ones that are really advising the member of Congress. Now we have some people sometimes with, with newer, newer staff people, but, but overall, we, we're really talking directly to the people who mm-hmm. are going to make the laws. And it is very empowering to sit there yeah. in the halls of Congress and to have these meetings one-on-one. And they know us. They know our organization. You know, we're there every year. They, oh, you're with the National Federation of the Blind. We met with you last year. And, or if they've had some members of their uh, constituency contact them about our issues in the interim, they, they recognize the individuals that come. Oh, that I can't. There's some affiliates that have been that have done an incredible job building relationships with their members of Congress, their representatives, their senators, and they come in and welcome them by name and know and remember the things they've done previously. That's such an honor for me to be and see our members doing that. Other ones are newer, but that they're building the relationship mm-hmm. and they're starting. And a lot of times, um, another great thing is to see the more veteran members. Uh, mentoring the newer members on passing down the the uh, our techniques and our success from one generation to the next that Mm -hmm. happens at washington seminar powerful so you were going into our issues and uh just to let you guys know john is a formidable advocate for the federation but he doesn't do it alone he has a tremendous staff over in our advocacy and policy department so let's talk about them as we talk about the issues as well absolutely all right the um all right. Well, maybe even today, you know, we're going to have uh, we have the great gathering in Monday, January 30th. And mm-hmm. we're going to have the student rally. I mentioned that we have the first ever student rally on Upper Senate Park, Tuesday, January 31st. Uh, Gabe is leading Gabe Gazaris, new staff member, doing a phenomenal job. Recent graduate, recent college graduate. Great yeah. addition to our team. Great. And, and, and can remember not too long ago the obstacles that he encountered with accessible, inaccessible technology. Mm-hmm. So we have been working for about two years negotiating with the American Council on Education and with uh, publishers and with um, industry, software industry, and we have come to an agreement on bill language. It was the language that was dropped at the tail end of uh, last year. And what are we trying to accomplish with this bill? We want, we want to have guidelines that say, here's exactly what you need to do, what a university needs to do to make their technology accessible. That will then help to create sort of the push-pull. That way then colleges can say, demand it, mm-hmm. and the manufacturers can create it. And this was what this combination is what really should improve the amount of accessible technology in college. Excellent. Excellent. Then we're um, – there's more details to that, but let me, let me kind of go through at least the first, first cut of everything. The next thing we want to do is we have been hearing – that they will definitely be tax reform probably in this coming calendar year. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of that too. Yeah, so <laughs> so what we do is we say, well, let's. There's things we can do in the area of taxes that would help the lives of blind people. Okay. You know, we I have to take for me. I have Jaws here at work. I have it on my laptop, and I have it on my home computer. And I Jaws is a screen reader access that allows blind individuals to actually 
use their computers. Yes. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pick that one, but that's a very popular one, and it's a fairly expensive one. Yes. And I have it. I like that one. It's the one I want to use at home. I bought that. Now, nobody else, other people don't. I, I bought my computer. I bought JAWS. But, but wouldn't it be nice if there was a tax credit for the part that I had to do, the accessible technology portion that only mm -hmm. I as a blind person had to do to make my computer accessible. Yeah, that makes sense. You play it by a computer like any other citizen and then the assistive technology that should actually be embedded in that technology already, you should be able to get a tax credit if you have to spend more money than, than anyone else. That's what we're gonna do. We're That's proposing excellent. a tax credit in that, in that for specific. If I was a member of Congress, I would vote yes. All right. All right. Well, then we need to make you a member <laughs> of Congress. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's right. in it's in the cards. We'll uh, see. All right. All right. Well, if you need a campaign manager, I'm I'm available. But yeah. let's keep going on the issues. Okay. All right. So then. All right. So now, how about now? The National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped of the Library of Congress. That's mm -hmm. the big, long name for just the, the Library for the Blind. Library for the Blind. Mm -hmm. All right. I get books there. I'm sure most of you listening do, too. Yeah. We've got the new digital talking book player. People yeah. have that. The Bard. Bard. You get people. Web Braille. Oh, it's fantastic. Outstanding, yeah. Now, uh, but Ian, let's go to what you mentioned, the web braille. Mm -hmm. The thing is, with the web braille, you need to have a refreshable braille display. Yes. Well, a lot of people can't afford that. They are really expensive. They are. But now the price is coming down. So why, if we distribute the technology to play the audio, how come we're not distributing the technology to read the Braille? <laughs> this makes so much sense. So we, um, GAO, Government Accountability Office, actually did a study and found that it would save money if we distribute more content in an electronic Braille content in an electronic format. Mm -hmm. So if... It, if the people want it, blind people, mm -hmm. and it would save money, this is what we sometimes call a no-brainer. Let's do it <laughs> now. It now don't we still need to have the ability for people to get hard copy braille? So Absolutely. we would just have to make that more on on demand, which has also gotten a lot faster and better. Mm -hmm. So the hard copy could be on demand. A lot would switch to electronic, and we would lend patrons refreshable braille displays. So just like the digital talking book players, we would have actual refreshable braille displays that, that users could gain access to. Yes. That's so we excellent. are asking for a one-time appropriation of $5 million to buy approximately 10000 Now, that's just to get started. Mm -hmm. We can get more later, but we need to get started. That's a good starting position, a good starting number, and we're urging uh, the Appropriations Committee in the House and the Senate to give that money to the Library for the Blind. Excellent. I'd love to hear from our listeners to see what they think about this particular concept. Yes. I'm all for it. Me too. Mm -hmm. Now, the uh, as you know, we've been working for years. Uh, we helped uh, the National Federation of the Blind uh, instigate and negotiate this treaty that occurred. It was actually done in Marrakesh, which caused as an uh, as a result, is called America's Treaty to Facilitate Access to Published Works for Persons Who Are Blind, Visually Impaired, and Otherwise Print Disabled. <laughs> now, tell me what that means in English. Uh, in English, this means that we're going to have a treaty that allows uh, us to import more Braille from other countries, especially foreign language Braille. Okay. Uh, we know, say, Scott Labar. Scott Labar is a great member of the National Federation Outstanding of Blind. Outstanding member, yes. And he wanted to be a Spanish language major. Scott wanted to? Yes, before he became an attorney. He wanted to, and, uh, okay, but he I'll, I'll follow with Scott about this later. Go right ahead. And, uh, but he couldn't get enough uh, Braille in, in Spanish mm -hmm. that he had to give up that major. Oh, wow. And um, 
You know, other people are doing this today. They can't pursue their dreams because they can't get enough Braille. But the sad part, the Braille is sitting over in another country unused. Mm. Wow. This treaty will allow us to more freely import and export Braille both in and out of the United States in multiple languages and should therefore help with uh, help really increase Braille literacy in the United States. But also, we have a lot of Braille. helps us put it, give it to other people who need mm-hmm. it. So it's going to help Braille literacy not only in the United States but throughout the world. It's, it's really the right thing to do, and hopefully we can get this treaty ratified. Another common sense, common sense piece of uh, advocacy. Yeah. So that, those are the four issues. That's where we're going to be coming to Congress and saying these are the things that help improve the lives of blind Americans. Let's do it. Excellent. So you mentioned Gabe is doing the Aim High legislation. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, Who else that, is on the team helping with this effort? All right. Well, we have a great team. So then uh, let's start with Parnell Diggs, Director of Government Affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing, uh, helping to direct the entire team, doing a great job with that, doing a lot of our regulatory work, doing Excellent. a great job at that. Parnell's a, an acquisition from our South Carolina affiliate. Yes. He's the president the Nas- of the National Federation of the Blind of South Carolina. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and he'll, he'll also be leading the efforts on the NLS appropriation. Oh, excellent. And then the um, Kimmy Beverly, uh, who another uh, state, state president from Nevada, yeah, yeah uh, doing a great job. <laughs> and we, maybe we shouldn't be saying this out loud. <clears throat> Some people may be thinking we're hunting uh, from our well, state affiliate presidents. Well, um, I'll move on to the issue. Yeah. Okay. All, right. All right. So uh, this is the. Uh, she'll be working on the tax credit now. Uh, she'll also still be. We're not giving up on the subminimum wage. We will never rest until there. It's until we repeal Section 14C. Yeah. Until there's not a single American with disabilities being paid less than minimum wage. Yeah. But we are regrouping on that a little bit to try to try to improve our ability to 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 get that through Congress. Yeah, and that's the way we do it. The, 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 our strategy has to evolve because we made some significant success since we started. Well, we reinitiated this effort to repeal 14C. And we have to make sure that our policy and our strategy reflects the success that we've had so far. Yes. Yeah. And there's a slight digression. I can't tell you how much fun the listeners to be in a room with Anil, who was leading that effort for the longest time and made so much success that, we, that we're riding his success. And to be in there pounding the table, the two of us, in front of members of we, Congress. We did make staff. a really dynamic team. Yeah, no, that yeah. was fun. Yeah. So, uh, all right. But some, so we're, that actually, the tax credit, the name of that's going to be the Access Technology Affordability Act. Okay. Um, so think of that. Access Technology Affordability Act will be a tax credit. Kimmy will be working on that. And then on the Marrakesh, uh, the part that we sort of do right out of the Jernigan Institute, you might think of Gabe is leading that effort. But, of course, Scott Labar is mm-hmm. extremely involved in that. He was the one who actually went to Marrakesh and was there in person and made a lot of trips over to Geneva, very involved in the whole process of getting us to the point where we are today uh, with, a, with the potential of having this treaty passed. So, um, and, and really, I know, remember, it's, it's, the, it's the whole federation. That's the key. That's the, I was going to go right into that. But yeah. before we do, I, Kyle and Melissa, the support staff over at Advocacy and Policy, doing a tremendous job of supporting this dynamic team. But you're do. absolutely right. It's not that team in the Advocacy and Policy that makes the biggest difference. No, it's the fact that we have 
so many relationships at the local level, 435 mm -hmm. members of Congress, but mm -hmm. we have members talking to every single one of them. So we have all this depth, and we're, and we're bipartisan. We're going and talking to everyone and saying, mm -hmm. this has how, if you want to help me in this you know, small town America, this is what you need to do. And mm -hmm. the Congress members, they listen to you. Yes. And it's sort of this teamwork because you get the members here in the community saying this is what will help, but then you need to still have people working and doing a lot of the detailed exactly. paperwork sort exactly. of and policy, the policy wonks. But you can't do get stuff passed without the two halves. You need the <laughs> district half. You <laughs> sort of need the D.C. half. And the NFB is unique in that we have two, both sides are so strong. <laughs> As you guys are listening, you can hear the passion and the energy in this man's voice. And that's what really keeps me comfortable that the effort that we have to um, achieve, the, uh, the goals that we have to achieve as an organization will be achieved. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us, John. Uh, we're going to be probably following up to see what happens as a result of all of our efforts there at the Washington Seminar. But um, for our listeners, if you're a member of the organization, you know your charge. If you're just an individual who's come across the Nation's Blind podcast and is really learning more about the National Federation of the Blind and what we do, we also encourage you to come help us in our efforts, too, to live the lives that we want. You're listening to the Nation's Blind podcast. I am Marcy Carpenter, President, National Federation of the Blind of Washington, and you are listening to the Nation's Blind podcast. And we're back with the Nation's Blind podcast. I really do love the energy uh, that our team has around advocacy and policy. I really love uh, the professionalism that they um, really demonstrate and not only just planning uh, the Washington Seminar, but executing it. It takes a lot to mobilize 500 individuals in concert to make sure that the message is clear and crisp and consistent. So uh, again, I miss working over in that space, but I'm glad that we have the dynamic team that we have working there. We really do have an outstanding team of people there and uh, leading this effort. But uh, and and we, you know, should give them all of that credit because it, it's such a it's such a huge piece. Uh, but it runs every year like a, a well-oiled machine, better than my tongue, which <laughs> did not run like a well-oiled machine right then. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we have a great team. But, Maybe uh, it was too much oil. Maybe yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the uh, but but the thing that makes it work, the thing that makes all of their work so successful, is the participation of the 500 plus members that come from across the country, mm -hmm. and and goes forth and makes those agenda items real for members of Congress and members of the public. So, right. And our legislative agenda of blind Americans, I mean, it's not something that people sit in a room to develop. I mean, it starts with our convention of 2,500 plus, uh, echoing the sentiment and the desires of our 50,000 plus membership. Uh, at the convention, we develop those resolutions, we have those discussions, and we synthesize those things that need to be addressed on the policy level into real policy statements and issues. And we develop that legislative agenda, and then we activate on that legislative agenda. So it's really, again, the collective action of the nation's blind, which is a fundamental tenet of this civil rights organization called the National Federation of the Blind. And uh, speaking of our, our uh, characteristic as a civil rights organization, which we have been since our inception, I had the chance to sit down with President Riccobono and talk about our role as a civil rights organization and expand on what that means. And it's always a privilege 
to talk to the president and he's going <laughs> to talk. I there. Nice segue. Good. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so in the moment of presidential privilege, he's going to talk about our role as a civil rights organization when the voice of the nation's blind returns. This is Sean Calloway, president of the National Federation of the Blind of the District of Columbia, and you're listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. Welcome back to the Nation's Blind Podcast, and it is my privilege to be joined by President Mark Riccobono for the moment of presidential privilege. How are you doing, President Riccobono? How's the new year so far? Oh, it's great, Chris. You're sounding a little, uh, you know... Under the weather or something over there. Yeah, yeah. I have been a little bit under the weather the past couple of days. But other than that, the new year's been good uh, so far to me as well. And, of course, a lot of exciting stuff coming up this year in the National Federation of the Blind. And uh, so uh, ready to fire on all cylinders. Excellent. Excellent. So um, we've been talking on this podcast a lot about our advocacy around Braille, around uh, government policy that is good for blind people like the uh, Section 508 regulations and, uh, you know, enforcing the equal education of blind children from the Department of of, uh, Education. And I think um, it's appropriate to talk about those things, especially this month, because we have uh, celebrated. Uh, there's a lot of celebrations in January, like the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday around civil rights. And of course, we have the Washington Seminar coming up. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about the role of the National Federation of the Blind as a civil rights organization. And I think in, sometimes people don't necessarily think of us as a civil rights organization, but uh, I, I know that's part of what we are, so I, I'd like your for you to start with some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's at, at our core who we are, and uh, even as we evolve as an organization, uh, civil rights is really the core of what we do and who we are as an organization, right down to our purpose since 1940, which is to serve as a vehicle for collective action by the blind Our organization, whether at the chapter, affiliate, or national level, is not merely meant to be a social organization. There's a lot of socializing that happens, and we talk about the Federation family. We get to know each other, uh, often break bread together, and those are important things for us to do, to build the relationships that we have and to share our experiences, our ideas, But at the end of the day, we come together to advance opportunities for blind people and really create uh, equality to bring us into first-class status in society. So we are more than merely a social organization. We are a civil rights organization, and uh, with it bring all of the uh, tools that civil rights organizations use to get their message across, to make change in society through public policy, um, uh, legal, and, of course, increasingly as a partner to companies, organizations, agencies that really do want to make meaningful things happen to blind people. And I always remind anybody that we're sitting with 
that at the end of the day, we're a civil rights organization, and we're going to tell you exactly what we think, that we work very hard, even in our legal settlements, we work very hard not to bind ourselves into situations that would limit our ability as a civil rights organization. So if you look at our agreements are almost always public. We very, very rarely and in only narrow circumstances agree to confidentiality. Once in a while there's uh, an issue that for some reason it makes sense to be confidential, but I always tell anybody that I sit with that I have to be able to get up at our national convention and tell our members what we have done on behalf of blind people because we're accountable to blind people. And uh, I think that's one of the powerful things that distinguishes us from other organizations and agencies that exist, especially in the blindness field. And the other piece of that is uh, most people, especially outside of us outside of the blindness field. I think many more people in the blindness field now see us as a civil rights movement, but certainly outside of the blindness field, a lot of people don't understand that blind people would have a civil rights movement or even a need for a civil rights movement. And that's where our work through our disability law symposium, engaging in other uh, and with other civil rights movements to get our point of view known helps to raise the profile and understanding that we, too, are fighting for civil rights, equal rights, equal protections under the law, and our movement is on a par with other civil rights organizations. I think that's uh, that's a great summation, Mr. President. That's absolutely correct. And I think the reason that people, uh, especially outside of the blindness field, don't really see us as a civil rights organization is because they they don't understand that blind people really experience discrimination. And it's discrip- discrimination of a different character than the discrimination that we often think of, but nonetheless, it, it is still discrimination. So talk a little bit about, if you would, about the kind of discrimination that we experience and what drives that discrimination. Yeah, and I don't know if this has already gotten talked about on the podcast, uh, but I know Anil describes it in a, a very powerful way that um, I really like, which is that you know, as people with disabilities, uh, you know, we're not um, being attacked. Uh, you know, we're not being lynched. We're not, we're we're not being um, held down in a very aggressive way. Uh, we're being held down in a loving way. Uh, we're almost we're being uh, loved to death, almost. right? Exactly. Uh, overprotected. Um, uh, whenever we turn around, someone's trying to do something, which of course is only really meant to be in our best interest. Um, so when blind parents have their children taken away, or when we're asked to sit and wait while um, before being allowed to enter this or that place, or whatever it is, it's it's always couched as coming from a place of love, support, understanding. But, of course, it's really that gap in understanding that is the discrimination that we face. Uh, How often do we hear 
from uh, tech folks dealing with technology that well we were you know we were going to work on accessibility we just hadn't gotten there yet <laughs> or um, you, you know we've we've made certain provisions for you but we understand it you know it just takes a long time to get braille you just have to understand that it doesn't come from a place of equal access and even the work that we have done on making sure that people with disabilities especially the blind but all people with disabilities are paid fairly compensated for their work I have talked to so many people especially over the last six months who are working for organizations that continue to pay less than the minimum wage, less than the livable wage that other people are getting to people with disabilities under the Fair Labor Standards Act 14C exemption. And their argument is that, well, you know, the minimum wage is hurting everybody. Uh, it's putting everybody out of a job, and at least these people have a job. And it doesn't really matter to them, or at least it doesn't seem to matter, that it's not equal. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's being pitched as we're doing something helpful, we're doing something nice. And so it's discrimination that is a little more difficult sometimes for people to get their arms around because it doesn't come often from hatred. Now, you should distinguish, though, it doesn't mean it's any less painful Certainly. And there certainly are situations where it does come from a place of hatred or uh, maybe you call it something else. Hostility. There, hostility, least. definitely. There's a blind person in California. It's been in the news. We're helping him out. Uh -huh. He's gotten himself elected to serve on the school board. And uh, the administration there has refused to um, give him certain supports that he needs as a blind person. Uh, just as an example, of course, they hand out all the documents in print. Right. And, and they, they have told him, no, no, you can't have a reader to read those documents. Um, and that, I think... I don't. That doesn't come from a place of love. <laughs> no, <laughs> Just say no. That, since that's still going on, so there are real discriminatory things that happen, and of course, the real painful ones for blind people are the ones that um, I think a lot of people don't even recognize because they just have taken it for granted that blind people are less capable than everybody else. And that, of course, is why we talk in the Federation about low expectations, because that's really the source of discrimination, the belief that we simply uh, don't have as much capacity. And I even believe, if I may editorialize for a moment, I don't want to take your time, but I even believe that the— uh, Take my privilege. Uh, yeah, your privilege, <laughs> exactly. But I, uh, you know, I, I sometimes feel like the reason that people feel uh, feel like they can say to us, uh, well, you you just have to wait for Braille or you have to wait for documents in an accessible format is that they deep down, although they haven't really even analyzed this themselves, they don't really believe that it's 
that it's worth all the time and effort to accommodate us because they don't feel like we're going to uh, succeed and really contribute to society anyway. I, I, I mean, I, I may be going out on a limb there, but I think there, I think the low expectations piece even feeds into that type of thing because, like you said, they're not coming from a place where we should be treated equally. They're, they're saying it's okay for you to not have your textbook until the first semester is over, even though. Uh, it's a two-semester course, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and and not to paint a grim picture. After seventy-six years, we have made tremendous progress in uh, breaking down barriers, eliminating uh, much of the discrimination that exists in certain parts of our society, and of course, part of that is because we have a strong civil rights organization through the National Federation of the Blind. So sometimes people say, well, you know, we probably have less of a need for a civil rights organization in 2017, and we have all this technology, and, uh, you you know, some laws are in place, and the attitudes are better. And there is truth to saying that we have made progress, but there is also truth to the fact that society continues to evolve around us. And unless we continue to have a vibrant, strong muscle that can be in the places where we need it to be, and today that's often being proactive, not reactive. And Mm -hmm. a great example is... Uh, earlier this month, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show. Later at the North American Automobile Road Show in Detroit, talking about autonomous vehicles. And everybody loves the idea that these vehicles, once they're available, are going to allow blind people to finally have access to transportation. But, of course, they're only going to do that if we have enough clout to be in at the beginning and let people know that these vehicles have to be built to provide access to us. And not just, um, here's a car, let someone type in the address for you, and not just talking to the car, which is what a lot of people envision, and there's lots of reasons why that's a bad interface for all sorts of people. Real equal access for a broad range of people. That's going to happen because we have a civil rights organization. Is it a civil rights issue? Well, it's going to be when the only transportation you can get is an autonomous taxi coming to pick you up. Right, you've got to be be, able to, It's going to be a civil rights issue. And uh, we want equal access. We want something better than we have today because we don't always have equality today. Because we have a civil rights organization We can do that, and there will be things coming up in the next decade, two decades, that we can't even anticipate. You know, right now we're celebrating the 10th anniversary, right, this month of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. Well, when people first contemplated a flat piece of glass, whoa, how's that going to be accessible? Right. Um, And thanks to the innovations at Apple and to our continued work to, to push on innovation, that's happened, and uh, Apple certainly gets some of that credit. 
But I think we get credit as a civil rights organization for being present and engaged in saying, hey, this group of people is important and deserves equal access as well. And so I think more than ever, we have a need for a civil rights organization. I'm very happy that we have a growing, vibrant organization, uh, more people coming into the Federation every day, learning about who we are, what we do, and that we are a civil rights organization and recognizing how important that is to their success. Of course, the problem is blind people can sit on the sidelines and they're still going to get all the advantage that our organization puts in. So hopefully people out there recognize that we're better off if they put their shoulder to the wheel and help. Everybody needs to get involved. And as you said, uh, just briefly, we can do this and we have evolved to do this because we have made progress and and because understanding has increased. We are increasingly able to do this. Uh, You know, in the past, people have said we're militant, we're fighting all the time, but increasingly we are achieving what we want to achieve through partnership and, and through education and, you know, things like the, the Wells Fargo supporting the Bell program are an example of that. And, and some of the agreements we've reached where we've really gone on to develop really great relationships with organizations that we once litigated against or threatened to litigate against. So uh, I think that's important, too. And I think um, there's a lot to be said for getting involved and engaged in the struggle. I mean, some of the best things that, that I've learned along the way, the uh, most powerful lessons that I've received being part of the National Federation of the Blind has been uh, in the process of uh, some of these what you would call fights, uh, whether it was um, an emergency situation uh, of custody or getting involved in a battle at an IEP meeting for a student or the the real learning comes in those situations, at least for me, because you realize that going into those situations as a blind person, you may know a bunch, but when you can call on a bunch of experts, 50 plus thousand across the country, when you know you can Um, call a Fred Schroeder if you have a question about rehabilitation or uh, uh, Pam Allen with a training question or any number of people on any subject. When you have that resource available, you realize how powerful we are as individuals getting in there and being part of those fights. And, of course, you hope that they're not all fights, but unfortunately some of those situations are very painful And the only way to overcome and knock those barriers over is to push really hard. Absolutely. All right, Mr. President, and on that note, uh, I will want to thank you again for participating in the Nation's Blind podcast and for sharing your thoughts with us. And you're listening to the Nation's Blind podcast, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Charlene Smith, President of the West Virginia Affiliate of the National Federation of the Blind, and you're listening to our national podcast. You're listening to the Nation's Blind podcast. I am Chris Danielson. I love the way that you say that with such conviction. You're listening to the Nation's Blind podcast. I'm Anil Lewis. (laughs) That's my 
Yeah, trying to be like Chris. Ah, well. I think I need to stay in my lane. (laughs) You know. Uh, this has been a really good podcast. It has, it has. What a uh, what a nice. Uh, I'm I'm excited that uh, that you know I was excited to participate in it and uh yeah and I think the listeners are really gonna find uh, that it's a it's a um, really synthesizes what we do as an organization. Right, and that's what I meant. I wasn't saying that you and I were fabulous, the, although we were. Although I'll, we were. I think the content, the discussion. Right, <laughs> exactly. content is very helpful. I, I think that hopefully um, this will continue to be a tool that not only our members uh, can use to help them understand and know the Federation better, but I really hope that individuals who are not members of the Federation can really get to know um, that blind people really are truly members of society with the same uh, desires, um, dreams, and aspirations as any other American. So, and if you, uh, dear listeners, have ideas about how we can make the podcast an even better resource for you, well, really, could it be any better though, Chris? Uh, you know what? As, as good as it is, <laughs> everything can probably get better, yeah, and see, I'm sure yeah. there are folks out there just waiting to tell us how that. <laughs> How we can make it better. Yeah, so yeah. how can they do that, Anil? Well, oh, man, this is always the test. Yeah. See, I do this <laughs> once a month. Well, you can contact us in the old school way, which I'll never forget because that's who I am, old school. 410-659-9314, extension 2444. And we really would like to hear from you. Uh, leave a voicemail, and maybe we'll end up putting you on our podcast. The other way, of course, is to email us. Uh, since we're no longer in the year of the Flintstones, we've moved into the Jetsons now. <laughs> Our email address is podcast at nfb.org. And, of course, uh, we're going to probably do more around our social media r- related to the podcast. Uh, but you can always stay in touch with us on Twitter at at sign NFB underscore voice is our Twitter handle. Yes, sir. And we're on Facebook as the National Federation of the Blind. And, of course, there's our website, NFB.org. Okay, uh, excellent. Just, just so you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't often criticize our outstanding engineer, Will, but he really did miss an opportunity there to do the Jetsons theme or the Jetsons car music or so, uh, car sound or something. <laughs> well, there you go. What would really be cool, though, is, you know, we don't know. Uh, if he we plays it know. while you're saying he missed an opportunity, if he's able to put that down. Yeah, he, he might drop it back in. Yeah. You know, you never know. Well, forgive me for being. Uh, but, I, but I wanted to give him a shout out anyway, because Will Schwatka is the unsung hero of the podcast. Absolutely. Makes makes Anil and I sound even better than we actually are. There you go. That's exactly what I was about to say. Here I am talking about how wonderful we are. If you really only knew uh, how much work it took. Uh, to make to make the podcast sound <laughs> as good as it does. But I take pride in the fact that it's a good podcast because I know that regardless of the job that we do recording it, Will Swatka puts it together in a way that really is polished, and we appreciate the work that he does. But we appreciate you, Federation, and we hope that you'll move forward to help us build the organization. Uh, we'll be talking next month about love in the Federation, maybe something about our priorities uh, so that you can understand us and where we're going on this path toward freedom and equality. And yes, we really do want to hear from you because the podcast is nothing without the people that are listening to it and hopefully benefiting from it. This is a people's movement. As we've discussed throughout the whole podcast, it's really based on the fundamental level around the civil rights of blind people. Exactly. A people's podcast yeah, I love for that. a people's movement. Yeah, One, one of the things I neglected to mention in this discussion of civil rights is because of the work that we do, we end up running parallel and sometimes intersecting 
other organizations with tremendous leaders. And we had the opportunity to meet with John Lewis. He actually uh, spoke with us at our 2007 convention, a uh, very powerful speaker, but uh, talk about civil rights. He is definitely a civil rights icon. Yep. He's definitely, uh, he, he not only talks the talk, but uh, literally uh, walk the walk yeah. and uh, Amen. on the, on the Edmund Pettus bridge and in other places and, and really made uh sacrifices uh potentially sacrificed his health and his life so uh you can't get a a more iconic figure than john lewis and we were so proud to have him so we thought what we'd do is leave you on this civil rights themed episode of the voice of the nation's blind with a piece of what john lewis had to say to us in 2007 and until next month remember you can live the life you want blindness is not what holds you back Some of you tell us to be patient. You tell us to wait. And I say at the end, and I say it now, we cannot wait, we cannot be patient, we want our freedom, and we want our independence now. When I was a young man, very young, growing up in rural Alabama, I tasted a bit of fruits of segregation and racial discrimination. And I didn't like it. I would ask my mother, I would ask my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, why segregation, why racial discrimination, and they would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in trouble. Don't get in the way. But one day I heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on all radio, and I was inspired to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Thank you for listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, send an email to podcast at nfb.org or leave us a voicemail at 410-659-9314, extension 2444. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at NFB underscore voice. Check out the Nation's Blind channel on YouTube. And visit us on the web at nfb.org. Until next time, remember, you can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back.